This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. The United States Supreme Court is increasingly involved in defining the limits and definition of religious liberty. One decision by the court ruled that same-sex marriage is the law of the land, despite objections of the religious community. Other rulings were more friendly to people of faith. The court ruled that religious institutions damaged by natural disasters could not be excluded from federal disaster relief funding. The court will soon rule in the Masterpiece Cake Shop case on whether Christian artists can be forced to create works celebrating gay marriage. As important as that case is, National Review Institute senior fellow David French says it pales when compared to the National Institute of Family and Life Advocates case in California. In that case, the court will rule on whether the state can force a pro-life pregnancy crisis center to advertise for abortion services. David French and I discuss this issue on today's World Lutheran News Digest. today's fast track. The California Senate passed a bill Monday that would encourage more college students to abort their unborn babies. If it becomes law, California would be the first state to force public universities to provide abortions to students. State Senate Bill 320 would require California public universities and community colleges to provide abortion drugs up to 10 weeks of pregnancy at their student health centers. It also would require the taxpayer-funded schools to cover the cost of abortions in their student health health insurance plans. The pro-abortion mandate would go into effect in 2020. President Donald Trump yesterday slammed Senate Democrats for blocking a pro-life Senate bill to ban late-term abortions, a bill that would save as many as 18,000 unborn babies from abortions each and every year. The Senate voted Monday on whether to stop the Democrats' filibuster of the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. That's legislation that would ban abortions after 20 weeks, as neither Congress nor state legislatures can vote to ban all abortions under the Roe v. Wade ruling. The bill highlights how unborn babies feel intense pain when they are killed in abortions. 51 senators, 48 Republicans, and three Democrats voted to take the bill up for a debate, but 60 votes were required. All but three Democrats voted to support legalized and unlimited abortions until birth. Yesterday, President Trump criticized those recalcitrant senators who stood in the way of stopping late-term abortions. Scientific studies, the president said, have demonstrated that babies in the womb feel pain at 20 weeks. The vote by the Senate rejects scientific fact and puts the United States out of the mainstream in the family of nations, in which only seven out of 198 nations, including China and North Korea, allow elective abortions after 20 weeks of pregnancy. World Lutheran News Digest will be back right after these messages. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. 
I'm Pastor Ted Lesh, pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County, inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at Chapel. Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO Radio. Hi, I'm Pastor Matt Youngblood-Clark from Ascension Lutheran in St. Louis. And I am Pastor Jolly John Lekomsky from St. Paul's and New Athens and Trinity in Darmstadt, and we welcome you to listen to Wrestling with the Basics. Matt, 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 let go of me, man. This is World Lutheran News Digest. The work by the here we long as a Lutheran Firehawan. I'm Kip Allen, host of World Lutheran News Digest. My guest today is Mr. David French, senior writer for National Review and a senior fellow at the National Review Institute. He's an attorney concentrating law practice on constitutional law and the law of armed conflict. A veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom, graduate of Harvard Law and past president of the Foundation of Individual Rights in Freedom, and a former lecturer at Cornell Law School. Quite a set of credentials, Mr. French. (laughs) Also known as I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. (laughs) That's my line. (laughs) <laughs> uh, Mr. French, I, I contacted you specifically because of an article uh, that you'd written that I have read in National Review. My audience, I'm sure, is familiar with the Masterpiece Cake Shop, the cake of the Christian baker in Colorado, whose case is now before the Supreme Court, and whether or not he can be forced to bake a cake that celebrates gay wedding. But you wrote an article that says the most dangerous Supreme Court case that nobody is talking about. And in your article, you say that this case actually dwarfs the Masterpiece Cake Shop. What's the issue here? Yeah, th- this case is uh, it comes out of California. It involves a crisis pregnancy centers uh, challenging a California law that literally requires licensed crisis pregnancy centers to post advertisements for free and low-cost abortions offered by the state. So you're requiring pro-life citizens to facilitate access to abortions, um, to facilitate death. It's extraordinary, and it's it, why I say that this is a case that's particularly stark is because if readers remember, or your listeners remember Masterpiece Cake Shop, that's a, cake, a case where uh, a, a baker was going to be forced to design a custom cake for a same-sex wedding. And one of the defenses to that case is that, well, designing a cake isn't free expression. Designing a cake isn't speech. So... The, the court is not forcing is not forcing speech, which is a particularly grievous constitutional wrong. Um, but in this circumstance, all the parties acknowledge that posting an, a notice and posting an advertisement, a mandated notice and advertisement for free and low cost abortions, is speech. So here, the the state is admitting that trying to force speech from pro life citizens, and that is extraordinarily dangerous because it is very very rare. It is very rare for the Supreme Court to agree that the state has the power to force speech. And if they do that in this circumstance, 
it's going to erode our, our First Amendment protections considerably. And, uh, in fact, the exact wording of it, uh, which I had here a moment ago and I actually have managed to replace, uh, specifically says that you must post in these, uh, in these uh, pro-life centers the message that specifically says that the state will provide uh, low-cost or free abortion services, and it lists the number, and even refers it to Planned Parenthood. And as you pointed out, these groups are dedicated solely to preventing abortion. Right. I mean, so these are you're you're talking about centers that contain doctors and nurses who are doing ultrasounds and providing services for unwed mothers. Often, uh, you know, some wed mothers, but some a lot of unwed mothers who are seeking alternatives to abortion in a crisis point in their life. That's why they're called crisis pregnancy centers. And they're dedicating their lives. They are doing this medical service because they want to facilitate the choice uh, um, for life. They want to facilitate the choice for life. And yet the state is coming in and saying, you cannot do your business unless we, unless you can, uh, unless you post this notice advertising for low-cost abortions. And, and let's think about how malicious this is. This is malicious because the state has the freedom to put up a billboard on the same street that the Pro-Life Pregnancy Center uh, exists. It has the ability to hand out leaflets, to advertise on social media, to advertise on the Internet, to advertise on radio and television. But what it is saying is, well, we're going to force these crisis pregnancy centers to advertise for us, which is, it's stunning. It's nothing short of malicious. I I think there's one other issue involved here over and above the uh, free speech, compelled speech issue. It almost strikes me as it's a violation of the Establishment Clause, where a state agency is telling a faith-based organization what they may profess. Isn't that establishing a, a, a religion? Well, it's not really an establishment clause case because there's no specific religious content. It's much more about what a, a classical free exercise clause case. Because uh, what you, if the free exercise clause retained any strength and power, which it it really is quite limited, unfortunately, in it by a terrible Supreme Court decision some years back. But it it there is obviously obviously you're imposing a burden on the religious conscience of these employees because many of them are doing the work that they're doing because of their religious beliefs. And so what you're doing is you're requiring them to to uh, put forward a message that directly contradicts their religious beliefs, that directly contradicts the mission and purpose of these organi- crisis pregnancy centers, which are often religious organizations themselves. And so there's a definite free exercise clause issue here. The free speech part of it is going to be the, and ultimately, in all likelihood, the lo- a stronger part of the claim. Uh, but... There is there is definitely a, a religious component to this. Now we're looking at two separate types of of um, excuse me. We're looking at two separate types of uh, facilities here. There are the licensed and the unlicensed facilities, and apparently these might be held to different standards. How, how does well, that right. work? Right. Well, the, the the truly offensive notice is the one that is being required to be posted in what are called the licensed centers. So the licensed centers are those centers that contain. Uh, healthcare professionals, licensed healthcare professionals, who are conducting healthcare activities in accordance, you know, in compliance with their health, their their licenses to practice medicine, and those are the facilities that are required to post a notice that says that the state offers free and low cost abortions for women who qualify. The unlicensed centers are centers that are not licensed medical facilities, and they're pro- required to post a different notice, and that different notice 
informs people who come in that they're unlicensed, that it is an unlicensed facility. So it doesn't have the same, uh, it's not the same kind of, of, of notice. With, it has different content, but it's still compelled speech. And the question really is going to be, what is legal standard that governs the determination of this case? Because with all free speech cases, and this is something that listeners, you know, I think could uh, that will help listeners understand free speech law. There's always two questions in a case. Question number one is, who's going to win and who's going to lose? Um, is it going to be the crisis pregnancy center that wins or the state that wins? And that's always one of the questions. Who wins, who loses the case? But that who wins or who loses the case is often less important, ultimately, than what legal standard is applied to make the decision. So in this circumstance, uh, what's partic- what, one thing that's very dangerous is that the Trump administration, while it's intervened on – has intervened on the behalf of neither side, filed a brief on behalf of neither side in this case, has said that the unlicensed center should lose, the licensed center should win, but – that there should be a, a sort of a relaxed legal use to analyze the state's uh, requirement here. Now, I, th- the- I think that there's actually a specific legal term for this, uh, for these two. One is the uh, the strict, I believe it's called? Strict scrutiny and, uh, versus heightened scrutiny. And heightened scrutiny. Right. And- so what, what the pro-life pregnancy centers want is strict scrutiny to be applied, which means uh, it's the the least restrictive means of carrying out a compelling state interest. That's the only way the state can win is if they prove that they have, uh, that, that this regulation is the least restrictive means of carrying out a compelling state interest. And they just can't, can't do that. That would be because they have the option of putting up a billboard or doing any other form of, of uh, advertising that they choose, rather than forcing these groups to carry that ad. Well, yes, and uh, there. So there's more. Uh, there's this is not the least restrictive means. That's what you're talking about yes, there. Yes, that's many correct. Other ways. There's no compelling governmental interest. There is no compelling governmental interest that the 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 um, Supreme Court has ever recognized in compelling a religious entity to give uh, speech contrary to its deepest beliefs or requiring a a person. To give to present not just a religious entity, but any person to say things that are contrary to their deepest beliefs. That's so. There's no compelling interest, governmental interest. They're not using the least restrictive means, so they would just flat out lose under a strict scrutiny standard. And when that is applied to compelled speech cases more generally, the government loses and loses and loses. In fact, they call the uh, the strict scrutiny is actually uh, strict scrutiny and fatal. Yes, it's all, yeah. It's often called fatal scrutiny. Fatal scrutiny. Strict scrutiny. Yeah. So, uh, how does that differ from the from the other uh, version of it, the heightened scrutiny? Well, the heightened scrutiny is going to ask more. Is going to ask more. Is this, uh, say, a substantial government interest? In other words, which is just a kind of a meaningless term, substantial interest. Well. Uh, that's just another way of saying is, can the government make the argument that this is important? And so in, when you're dealing with something of a substantial interest versus a compelling interest, that's a very different standard. And what has happened in case after case after case, when you have this sort of heightened scrutiny, which looks at a different level of, of governmental interest, the government tends to win these cases, and they tend to win these cases frequently, and especially 
Uh, and especially when you can label the speech at issue instead of being, say, political speech or religious speech or cultural speech, you can label it commercial speech, um, like an advertisement. So the government, for example, regulates advertisements all the time. It it regulates commercial speech all the t- time. It even compels commercial speech. So, you know, those uh, nutrition warning labels or warning labels on alcohol or, or on cigarettes, it's all compelled governmental speech. But because it's commercial speech and it's subject to this lower standard of review, um, the government tends to win those cases. And so that's the problem. If you're talking about applying a commercial speech type analysis, to the speech of a crisis pregnancy center, what you're doing is you're just crushing the free speech rights of these pregnancy centers. But these uh, centers aren't selling anything. How can they be commercial? No, no and that's, that's the thing that's tricky about this. So what the way that they, the um, government is trying to use a more or less commercial speech type standards is by creating this new category of speech that they're calling professional speech. And they're saying, well, these these uh, pregnancy centers have professionals who work for them, uh, doctors and, and nurses, in the same way that, say, a public interest law firm has professionals working there, lawyers. And professionals are in heavy, what are called heavily regulated professions. In other words, the state licenses them, the state imposes codes of ethics upon them, uh, the state requires, in some cases, mandatory speech from them, such as informed consent when you're, you know, if you have surgery, uh, surgeons are going to have to show you, you know, and tell you about the risks of the procedure, and that's informed consent. And, this, and so in that sense, professional speech is often compared to not really a Supreme Court-recognized separate category, but it's been compared by in lower courts to something like uh, commercial speech. But you've got to be really, really, really careful about that because it is not the case that anything a professional says is the same thing as, let's say, a McDonald's advertisement, uh, because professionals are also advocates. And so some of the strongest advocates for a political or cultural or religious position in the U.S. are happen to be professionals, people like lawyers, uh, people like doctors, people like nurses, use their professional expertise to make um, to not only make arguments in the public square, they use their professional expertise to advance the causes that they love and they advance the causes they believe in. And so if you're going to try to say that the speech conducted by professionals in a professional setting, according to, you know, in pursuit of their professional job, is a lower category of speech for the First Amendment, you're going to start to just, you're going to, you're going to be invading the marketplace of ideas on issue after issue after issue. Would it be possible, for example, uh, for a challenge to go to, uh, say, an abortion referral service to say, oh, you've got to put up a notice saying that there are alternatives? Sure. I mean, well, that's one of the things about free speech jurisprudence. Uh, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So um, it's, it's not like the Supreme Court would announce a rule that says progressives can compel speech from conservatives, but conservatives can't compel speech from progressives. So the way these things work, and this is why censorship is often so varied, is that if you get away with censorship, it means your opponent can get away with censorship when the roles are reversed. Uh, and if the roles get reversed. So, you know, in some parts of the country, like California, progressives rule the day. And, but in other parts of the country, like Tennessee, they do not. Where, and I, I'm li- I live in Tennessee. And so if progressives can constitutionally succeed in restricting free speech or even compelling speech of conservatives, then 
those conservatives in different states are empowered in the same way. One of the reasons why the defense of civil liberties is so vital in this country, it's one of the few things that in theory should unite us all. I kind of believe in a golden rule of political discourse and that I will fight for the rights of others that I would like to exercise myself. So that even if we disagree on the substance of a position, we can agree on the right to say the substance of the position. And, you know, there's a lot that divides us, but in theory, free, free speech should unite us because it benefits each and every American. But unfortunately, we get so caught up in partisan political battles and we get so consumed with hatred from the other side, we're often willing to risk a loss of free speech if it can mean defeating your opponent or inconveniencing your opponent or harming your opponent in the short term. Well, I look at this case particularly where we've got, uh, in support of the uh, of the group, we've got 22 different states, 144 members of Congress. Uh, I know the uh, my church, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, has filed an amicus brief in conjunction with several Catholic agencies. Hey, try to getting the Catholics and Lutherans together. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give 95 reasons why that's difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure that there are some on the other side as well, the fellow amicus briefs. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, we are, are definitely pointing to a, a situation now where we are, are, are deeply divided. And I'm wondering, looking at your second article here, uh, the one that you just spelled out about the uh, where the Trump administration is filed an amicus brief, but not coming down on either side, essentially. And I'm trying to figure out why. I'm wondering, is, is the administration trying to give the Supreme Court maybe some wiggle room in the ruling on this thing rather than rather than setting down an actual, quote, a phrase, red line? Well, so I, first, I don't think Donald Trump sat there and said to the Solicitor General, I want you to file an amicus brief on support of neither side because I want to preserve maximum state authority to regulate commercial and professional speech. And so I'm not, I don't, you know, I don't know, that, I don't think this was a political decision from the highest branches of the government. I think this was a mistake, and I think it's a mistake driven in part by the fact that governments, right and left in this country, try to retain as much of, uh, as much control as they can over professional speech. Um, this is something you see. Uh, it's a temptation that I've seen arising on the right and on the left of this country because professionals are very, very powerful. They have a lot of influence, and they're also heavily regulated. And, ask, and, and asking the government to give up some of the power that it's been clinging to is a very difficult thing. And so I think that one of the things that, that – the Trump administration is doing here is I think they're trying to sort of have their cake and eat it too, trying to have a situation where the crisis pregnancy center wins, but the government doesn't give up any theoretical control. And my position is pretty clear that the crisis pregnancy center should win and the government should stop trying to control so much professional speech. It's an interesting case, a very interesting case. Uh, I'm trying to figure out uh, where the Supreme Court might go on this. I I look for example, at the, uh, in the Obergefell decision, where the Supreme Court made a broad ruling that affects everyone and everything, as opposed to, say, the Trinity Lutheran case uh, that had, or the uh, more recent one about the uh, religious groups in Texas that were, that were providing uh, health relief that, are, that can, are now eligible for FEMA relief, where the rulings were relatively narrow rather than broad-reaching. And I'm wondering if... Is, well, I guess this is what the Supreme Court's going to have to decide. Well, right. I mean, you know, the, the general slant of the Supreme Court is to issue narrower ruler, rulings rather than broad rulings. However, this court has 
departed from that in a couple of really interesting and key cases. I mean, you mentioned Obergefell, and of course that's one circumstance where it departed uh, in, from that practice of issuing narrow rulings and issued a very broad one. But the Citizens United case, which I'm very much in favor of, uh, was strong First Amendment case, which was a, was, was a surprise to a lot of people because the court went very broad in that case. So, it, you know, it, uh, it's really tough to read the tea leaves, but if I had to predict, I would say that Justice Roberts, he likes to get as big a majority as he can in in cases. And if, and if he can go with a narrower ruling that gets seven justices as opposed to a broad ruling that gets five, I think he'll he tends to go with the narrower ruling. Uh, so it, I, I, here's how I would say it. If this thing is 7 to 2 or 6 to 3 or 8 to 1, something like that, it's going to be a narrow ruling. If it's 5 to 4, there might uh, be a chance that it could be a bit broader ruling because that's where you know he, uh, the Chiefs did not gather, get together a supermajority on the court, and the five justices – will have, you know, sort of the free reign to do what they'll want to do. Well, the court has not yet heard this case. I'm assuming it's coming up later on in the uh, in the session. That's right. That's right. I believe it's being argued in March, but I'm not, I, I can't remember the exact date. And we're expecting the, uh, the Masterpiece Cake Shop ruling perhaps uh, in early June. Don't know when we're going to get this one, though, huh? Well, I think we'll probably get these, in, you know, uh, yeah, we don't know when we're going to get this one, Masterpiece Cake Shop case, the decision, because it's so important. Uh, they tend, the court tends to hold these decisions, the most important ones, toward, toward uh, the end of the term. So we'll see. But uh, June is around when, the time when I'm expecting it. And uh, when that case is decided, look for millions of words of analysis to be written about it. <laughs> well, it's good for our business and yours, too. <laughs> so. oh, we don't lack for material these days, do we? <laughs> not, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Mr. French, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on this program. You've really explained it. And what I think is important for me as a citizen and for our listeners is that you put this in English. <laughs> rather than legalese. <laughs> well, I try. I try. It's you know, it's it's uh, it, it, on one on one hand, it could be complicated, but when you really boil it all down, it gets pretty simple. So, uh, I think it's important for people to be able to understand what's going on. Well, thank you very much, sir. Thank you. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at two thirty p.m. and again at nine thirty a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.